HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Mina Stone, who just recently published her book called Cooking with Artists. But before we start, I'm going to offer you a little glass of something because May, this wonderful spring summery month, is all about aperitifs. And Lille was kind enough to give us a couple bottles to drink before every interview, loosen us up a little bit. Um, so I'm going to offer you either red or white, some ice, some orange slices doing it right and we'll get gabbing too so which cool. which bottle would you like to sample from um i'll go with the white the white so i don't think i've ever done a show while drinking because Nor it's like I. no it's 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 3 p.m tuesday it seems like just a little too early but i guess what do they say it's five o'clock somewhere that's right that's right well it's not too early for us well let's talk about the early stages of your life and Ye, how do you say your grandmother's uh, uh, euphemistic term? Yeah, 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 yeah. That that is every grandma in Greece. That's that, not just yeah, yours. That is the word for grandma in Greek. Tell me about your grandmother and cooking with her. Um, I kind of, I, I guess, I didn't know how amazing she was until I got older, and I moved to Greece when I was twenty-five, and spent the year there, and spent a lot of time with her, and. She's she's amazing. I mean, she's 87. She still cooks every day. She cooks for the neighborhood. Um, she, she changes things. She's super creative. Um, and she's always been a source of inspiration, and she's taught me many of the recipes I cook. And it's, But they're simple. They're straightforward. It's not like grandmother's secrets. It's, it's about stripping it down to core ingredients. I agree, and I think that's the secret. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are you willing to share that secret with us, or is Absolutely. it a familiar thing? No, I, I don't really believe in being secretive when it comes to recipes or food. I think it's exciting to pass them down and to share the information. Um, I, I don't know if you had something specific in mind. Well, just simply potatoes. Well, she just has these little tricks. Like with potatoes, she taught me to kind of parboil them first. And maybe this is something every chef knows. I'm not sure. But I was never formally trained. Um, So she always had these little tricks. Like she would parboil the potatoes. And then she would add them to, you know, Greek lemon chicken, which is this very ubiquitous dish. And they would just come out crispy and amazing and soft and... You know, I, t- I stole that one from her. <laughs> no, no, you. She shared it with you. She shared it, yeah. <laughs> Chickpea stew. Uh, how, how do you make those so tender and so robust with with so little? So chickpeas. I mean, it's great if you have a good chickpea, so they're not too old. Um, but my grandma, when she after soaking them, she would dust them with baking soda and let them sit for an hour. And I always thought that was so cool, and I had no idea why, and you know, but that's what I would just do. That was her trick. Um, I did some internet research on it at some point and realized that it helps to tenderize the chickpea. Um, and I mean, that dish, which is one of my favorites, is just chickpeas, olive oil, lemon juice, salt. I love that the trifecta is in there because in your book, Cooking with Artists, you, you preach the gospel of those three things, yeah. olive oil, lemons, and salt. Let, let's talk about each one of those specifically. What does olive oil mean to you? Olive oil is my fine wine. Um, I love wine. I can tell the difference between good and bad wine, but I'm not the person that swishes my glass and you know smells all the different nuances in the wine, but I do that with olive oil. Um, I grew up with being, being fed with a tablespoon of olive oil every morning and then followed by a tablespoon of honey. Very gag worthy when you're a kid, (laughs) but I appreciate it now that I'm older. Um, I think olive oil is just as important as every main ingredient as the dish. It should be just as good. So what are your go-to olive oils? I'm assuming Greek. Greek, try to support the economy. It needs a little bit of support little, right now. It yeah. needs a little support. Um, my brands? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I like this one called Athena, and it is this, it's like the Koroniki variety of olive oil, and it's great. I like that. Extra virgin olive oil. Um, I like the Iliada. I like this other Cretan one, and I can't remember the name. Um... But I go anything Greek that's, you know, single variety from a region. I mean, what kind of flavor are you looking for? Is it grassy? Is it peppery? I like it to be smooth and sometimes peppery. But you shouldn't get, when you smell the olive oil, it should smell really clean. You shouldn't get um, sort of an after scent of something. That just me. I mean, if you want to understand that, you can just smell colavita or something like that. And then you understand and you smell good olive oil and it's, it has a very clean smell to it. And then what qualities do you look for in a lemon? Um, not many other than it just being a lemon. <laughs> that, that is one of the I mean, if best I'm using, answers I've ever had about... <laughs> 
choosing fruit. <laughs> if I'm using, you know, if I'm using the zest, I'd prefer it to be organic, but I just like a good lemon. Yeah, and salt, kosher, sea. Depends. Um, I like kosher. I basically use kosher because it's just, I feel like I have more control because it's a little less salty. Um, but when I think a part of my cookbook is is sort of, I like to use what I have around. So yes, I like kosher. Yes, you know, I like sea salt. But um, I use what I have around. So in, in that, you yep. know, using what you had around, cooking was kind of this organic thing. It blossomed. It wasn't necessarily a career choice. You you went to school for fashion. Right. What kind of fashion? I went to Pratt for fashion. Um, I didn't go for any specific kind. I just always, I always liked it since I was a kid. I always dressed kind of far out and thought it would be a way to apply something artistic. So, What are we wearing today? I feel like it's red carpet when you ask that. Well, what what well, ensemble do we have? You know, I'm actually proud of what yeah. I'm wearing today because these pants are from an island in Greece and the shoes are from Greece too. They're $20 leather sandals. Well to represent. Yeah. So in, in fashion world, um, you somehow got, not, not sucked away, but... You know, you had this affinity towards art and artists and galleries. I mean, what was that initial transference of energy that found you cooking? I I don't know, and I'm not sure I actually even had an affinity for them. I mean, I always was creative, but I didn't... I guess I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I went to school for fashion. I graduated. I started a line. Um, it was going really well and I started cooking because I always love to cook but I started to cook basically to supplement my income um, and what ended up happening was that I, the cooking just kept going better and better and I never stopped um, uh, long story short yeah well let's talk about a text exchange you had at the beginning of the book you're talking with an associate of yours I think at Gavin Brown Enterprise she was the director of the gallery at the time yeah and there was this discussion about what you would cook. And I think it was the first meal you actually ever cooked there. And it was a chicken bouillabaisse of, mm-hmm. of sorts, a, a stew with rice. But it wasn't supposed to be that. There, there was some overriding theme that they wanted projected in a specific dish. Can you tell me about that interaction? Yeah, they were going for... It was, it was the first time I was going to cook at the gallery. I had no idea what Gavin Brown meant to the world. I didn't know what that gallery meant at the time. Um, and I had met Karina Durland, and she asked me if I was interested in cooking for this gallery. And I said, sure. Um, sounds fun. And she said, what we're going for is this chicken curry, because this artist in the 1800s used to make this curry and invite people, and it was sort of aristocrats and... Um, artists sitting around and sharing a meal and that is our inspiration and I listened to her and I thought that was all great but I was like what do I know about curry I'm you know a a Greek girl and uh how about you know we kind of go in between and I'll make this other chicken dish that I understand and so I guess it was cool because it was our first exchange and I didn't really try and pretend to be able to do something I couldn't and that was that. That was nine years ago, that first dinner. Yeah, and, and I love that 
you were unwilling to compromise your vision. She at, thinks it's pretty funny. Yeah, though, too. yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> in the same way that artists who have been represented in show at Gavin Brown are, you know, uh, tell me about some of the works that have hung on the wall while you've cooked there. Oh boy. Um. Well. I think every artist he represents, I think, at some point has hung a show there that I've cooked for. I can't really think of one. Rob Pruitt. Yeah. Alan Katz. So he just did Alex Katz, actually. Rob Pruitt, Urs Fisher, Dara Friedman, Mark Hanforth. Um... Spencer Sweeney, Elizabeth Payton. Let's, um, let's actually go with Elizabeth Payton. Mm-hmm. How, how have her paintings resonated with you? I mean, you, you get to cook in this really gorgeous space. Well, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about the facilities mm-hmm. themselves, but you get to present your food in front of this really amazing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is there pressure to present your things in a specific light or do you collaborate with the artists or are you influenced by their work um i get this question a lot i think for obvious reasons and to be honest it's completely separate for me i don't really equate whenever i cook to anything art related actually i've gotten to know these people through my cooking and cooking for them which has been hugely inspirational based more on who they are as a person I would say rather than their work because oftentimes I don't even pay attention I don't have time to go downstairs and see the show like I'll see it later but it brings me closer to people for sure um I don't feel pressure for it to be related to the art at all because You know, some artists, I know I love their work. Some artists, I know, and it's not even that I don't love it. I'm just, like, not as affected by it. Um, And is that answering your question? Yeah. It's just two separate things for me. It's, It's more about my relationship with the person rather than their art and cooking for them. Well, I mean, then there must have been a relationship with Urs Fisher that that was deeper than just a, a single sure, show. For sure. And uh, the one thing I will also say, and I've said this too, because I've actually thought about what has made cooking for this group of people really unique, is that I think I could have never been as good of a cook as I am if I didn't cook for these people because they let me do whatever I want. They really trusted me to cook what I wanted to cook and supported me and and so I learned and I grew you know because I've also cooked for you know some families that told me exactly what to make and it was not as fun well we're going to take a quick break and come back to Red Hook where you've been cooking lunch for Urs Fisher for five years now you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org we'll be right back
Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Mix it. Could an app? Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Mina Stone and a little glass of Lillet Rouge on the rocks with orange. I promise I'm doing it right. But let's talk about Urs Fisher. Uh, I think it's a 13,000 square foot facility in Red Hook, which you at 1 o'clock. Oh, you're asking me if yeah. it is? You I seem did, to I know did, more I did about a little bit of my yeah. research. Okay. Um, at 1 o'clock, three times a week, you ring a bell, people sit for lunch. Yes, tell, I do. Tell me about recent meals, but also what that communal sense of eating together means for you and that studio. Well, the communal sense of eating, is it's just great. It creates a great work environment it's exciting because people smell this food for three hours and then we sit around and actually one of my co-workers explained it I thought in such a perfect way and she said that it's it's a great equalizer you know we all sit together no matter who's there and who's working there for about whatever half an hour and share a meal together and it's great um it means a lot it feels like family I mean, so much so that Urs urged you, in a sense, to make this cookbook after having presented so many beautiful spreads. His own imprint, Kido-san, mm-hmm. put this thing out. I think you premiered, what, at the L.A. Book Festival, Gagosian mm-hmm. Gallery, uh, you know, table. Um, to have the support and, and, and the, the so many artists behind you wanting to see this succeed, how awesome is that it's pretty awesome it's i mean i could actually even get emotional about it because i think feel free we're a very emotional show that's nice (laughs) well i yeah it means the world to me and it's a wonderful feeling to feel that supported and to have had the chance to work with Urs on this book was incredible i would definitely say it was the process of working on the book was for sure one of the happiest times of my life um been a great experience but did he know anything about how do you say copanisti whipped feta did he know anything about fava Um, which is actually lentils he yeah he he does i mean he does i guess because i make a lot of greek food at (laughs) the studio and but he knows a lot about food he knows his food what what are his go-to dishes? What does he request the most from you? Um, he loves that chickpea dish. He loves the Greek chicken soup that's really lemony. Um, he loves olive oil cake. And, yeah, those are my three Urs dishes, for sure. What are your three dishes? Oh, those are them as well. Yeah. I love those three <laughs> dishes. Um, but... That chickpea stew is definitely my fa- one of my favorite dishes. And Greek lentils. Greek lentil soup is also my favorite. Which aren't actually 
well, it's called Greek fava, but they are yellow lentils. There's two dishes. Yes. So Greek lentil soup is called faki, and it's just the simplest soup that's... It's one of those Greek dishes, again, where you make it, and it's five ingredients, and people ask me what's in it, and, you know, just list it off. Yeah, it's and warming then, spices, right? Cinnamon, yeah. cloves. That's my addition. That's my immune twist on it. I think when I told my mother I did that, she was very confused. <laughs> but... Uh, Greek fava is yellow lentils, and that it's called fava in Greek, and, and that's more of a dip and an uh, appetizer. You just mentioned your mother and cinnamon and cloves, and yeah. in, in going through the book, there's another dish which is a meat ragu. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the name of that dish, and what does it mean to you and your mother? Um, it's called macaronia mekima, and I think that's my favorite. Uh, thing I wrote in the book because I realized how true it is that we always get together, me and my mom and it's always the thing that we're really excited about. I mean, we're excited to see each other, but we're almost more excited to share this dish and hang out with each other. And we both make it. When I go to Boston to see my mom, she always has that and when she comes here, I always have it. So it's fun. Yeah. You know, pasta with mom. (laughs) <laughs> but it's also this this comforting thing. Yeah. And do you find a lot of your food to be of that ilk, of that nature? Comfort food. She, I do. I, I find that it it's almost a meditative quality, I think, that you put into the food. Um, you know, maybe this sounds a little spiritual, but I do find that when you cook with a certain thing or trying to please somebody your food sort of comes out better you know when I have my mom in mind and I'm making the sauce the sauce comes out better and I think that's why I actually you know in getting to know certain artists I feel like it's nice when you actually have a relationship with the person because it's almost like tuning into what they would like to eat and I kind of like to try and figure that out well, I think nothing forces you into that relationship better than eating with your hands. And I love the Greek ideal, or at least yours, of grilled fish mm-hmm. and what that means to actually take that apart and, and splay it open sans silverware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another one of my favorite things that I wrote because I have sat around the table with my grandmother many times, and she says the same thing every time she grills a fish. She gives me this whole story like it's the first time I've ever heard it before, and that is that if she was at a formal table and they served her a whole fish, she would never be able... She wouldn't even try to eat it because if she had to use a knife and fork, there's no point. So so I always nod. I'm like, yep, that's right. I know. Uh, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) But it's true. I don't really understand eating a whole fish with a knife and a fork either. No, and there's something more than just visceral. And you're you're dealing with artists, too, who like to be, for the most part, tactile. Mm -hmm. I mean, explain the work of Urs Fisher. Tell me what his medium is and how he goes about producing. Um, I mean, I kind of see Urs as a jack-of-all-trades to a certain degree. And, um, I mean, for me... I think Urza's work, my favorite part about it is the sense of humor. And there's this really, there's like a deep playfulness to all of it. And um, I like being around that. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you see the parallels in your own work, your food, mm-hmm. when you're cooking there with what he creates. Mm-hmm. Um, and one dish in specific, the the tadig, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the Socrat of of the Middle East, you know, crispy crust, you know, filled with rice, and you do two iterations of that. Um, the latter being a potato crusted tadig. It's playful in the sense that it, it, it's still hidden, you know, like the surprise comes out after you cook it. And I, I feel that of Urz's work and a lot of the artists represented by Gavin as well, that, you know, you see it and it's not necessarily shocking, but there's some deep rooted sentiment once you kind of flip it over. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with you. I mean, there's just most of the time there is a sense of humor. And it's like nothing's really worth much without that. Yeah. Right? Or else you start taking yourself too seriously. So let's talk about what you cooked this week. What you are looking to cook oh, in the boy. future. Because it's springtime. And yeah. I know you, you are a big celebrator of that. So what did I cook this week? So we just did the Alex Katz opening at GB on Saturday. And what we cooked for that was... Um, we made a very springtime salad filled with mint, pecorino, hazelnuts, and I think that's it. I think that was all that was in the salad. And we made this delicious braised beef and artichoke dish, which is, it's not really something Greeks make, but it's a Greek-inspired dish, which is there's this ubiquitous Greek dish that's artichoke, peas, dill, bunch of lemon, and it's simplest, it's the simplest dish, and it's great. And so it was sort of based off of that, but with some meat in there. And I had this dish in Greece the last time we were there, which was about a month ago, and it was chickpeas in the oven, and all they had on them was tons of orange zest, and they were so good. So we made that too. And for dessert, we had pine nut tart, macerated strawberries, whipped cream. See, everything seems so familiar, but then there's mastic. Explain to me what that ingredient and flavor is. Um, mastic? Well, it wasn't in what we just cooked. No. Right? Okay, we're good. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Moving on. Um, mastic is the tree resin. It's the resin of a tree in an island in Greece called Chios and you know it kind of it's kind of like the Greek maple syrup almost I mean not really but that's how I like to think about it because it's this really precious substance that comes from a tree and it has its own flavor and um mastic is the coolest stuff it's the, the ancient chewing gum it's an ancient stomach remedy in Greece um And now they use it to flavor certain sweets. And the best way, and actually one of the most amazing things, is mastic ice cream. But the best way I can explain the flavor is that it tastes sort of like a pine tree, or that smell of a pine tree. That's what mastic tastes like to me. So it's really... It's a very kind of uh, exotic taste. Yeah, but earthy, natural. I mean, it brings you back to the hearth and... You know, of course, there are grilled kebabs. Uh, you do an amazing 
smoky spiced chicken, uh, you know, version of that. There is the braised lamb, of course. Greek yogurt finds its place in this book. Everywhere. Everywhere. Just... We tried to edit it out at one point, but we just left <laughs> you, it You in. could just do a whole Greek yogurt book on the side. I know. But again, it's, it's amazing to see cooking with such a simple pantry, but such diverse flavors and such a breadth of, of what you can do. Well, thanks. I'm glad. You, I mean, that's that's what I was going for because that is how I cook, and it's really uncomplicated. And you know, it became a joke because when people would, you know, every time they'd be ask me, "What is on this? What is on this?" You know, and it would be olive oil, lemon juice, and salt. And so, because I said that so many times, we would all laugh about it. And I realized that's how I season most things. You should just do, you know, like in a gallery where they say, you know, the name of the artist, name of the work, and then the medium. Mm-hmm. And you should just put that in front of every dish that you do. They're used to it's reading information idea. like that. But what what are some of the upcoming gallery shows that we can not only see wonderful work, but maybe even participate in some of your food? Well, actually, we're going to have a big celebration at... Um Gavin Brown upstairs May 16th and it's going to be a celebration for the book. I'll be signing books and I will be cooking all day long recipes from the book. See, that's when you get minions to do that work for you so you can celebrate yourself. But- Is that right? I don't think I, I don't think I know how to function that yeah. way. I think every cook and chef maybe feels that way. They can't totally relax. That is the true <laughs> spirit of the game. But thank you so much for being on and if you know, you want to experience the, the, the awesome collision of food and art. Definitely check out Mina Stone's Cooking for Artists. Maybe even stop by Gavin Brown on May 16th. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.